a little over two weeks ago, I was preparing for Sunday worship, and this was on a Saturday. Uh, the next day was Sunday. And I had just seen all of the videos surrounding the tragic death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. I had witnessed the protests that had begun, little realizing how extensive that they would become. And I didn't know what to do. And so um, I did the only thing that I could do in the moment. I wrote a prayer. God, we don't know what to do. Our black siblings can't breathe. Injustice has had its knee on their necks for so long now, crushing their dreams, cutting off the air of freedom, rendering them helpless and hopeless. What would we do if we couldn't breathe? We would fight for our lives. We would fight for every breath. We would struggle to survive. We would do anything to find air, to fill our lungs with hope, to simply stay alive. We are in grief, and we don't know what to do. But we do know this. When there are some of us who can't breathe, we all are fighting for air. Grace and peace, everybody. It's Pastor Leon, and welcome to the PastorCast. This week, we're going to begin a series of podcasts on issues of racial injustice and the intersection between social issues and faith, uh, specifically as they relate to race. As many of you have experienced and have been watching and uh, have been grieved by um, all of the issues that have been happening over the last couple of weeks, first with the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis um, at the hands of uh, the police who were arresting him, uh, and then the subsequent protests and all of the uh, divisions that have been created um, as a result of those protests uh, and all of the ensuing, uh, the ensuing conversations that have taken place uh, in our country. I have to say, I believe that this is a tipping point for us. Um, I just took a look at the New York Times bestseller list, and every single one of the New York Times bestseller lists from 1 to like 10 or 12 or whatever were all about racial issues. Every single one of the books that were on the bestseller list were about racial injustice. And so people are wanting to learn. Um, a lot of white people are finally waking up to the reality of systemic racism in America. Um, but there are lots of people who are not, including lots of people of faith um, who claim to be followers of Jesus, but yet um, they continue to deny that there are issues, they deny their problems. And so there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of conversations that need to be had, and there's a lot of listening that needs to happen. That's the purpose of this series of podcasts. We're going to do some listening. I'm doing interviews with some leaders within the church and outside of the church, um, black leaders who are doing everything they can to intersect their own life of faith with the feelings that they have and also the ways that they want to change their communities and change the world. So this week, I'm going to be introducing you to Sean Welcome. I've become too fondly of the stars to be afraid of the night. 
And I don't mind quoting a man who spends his days head back at a 45, gazing at strawberry seeds in the sky, focused on the future, and technically the past so much that he forgets his present danger. See, I'm an optimist. Glass half full of $50 bills, a fun thought. Guns fought for 50 stars on an American flag. Blood loss, but give me the good news. Give me a taste of that melting pot during the Great Depression and the countless stories of people that pressed through Black Tuesday. This is no cartoon. This is real life, and if you live, it will shake you. But consider yourself salt and be thankful for the shaker. Just declare, I've been put here to give the world flavor. That's food for thought. That's just a sample of one of Sean's original poems, a poem entitled Good News that he not only wrote but also performed. And that's how I got to know Sean. Sean actually came to my church on several occasions and performed some of his original poems and just did an incredible job. And he has done that over the years in a variety of venues. I was grateful to have him come in a historic kind of way to come to my largely white congregation uh, in a small southern town that had its own sort of history of segregation, and I'll talk about that in just a little bit, including uh, some uh, accounts in the church itself that I served um, that were told to me by some of the longtime members, some of whom have passed away. But Sean was courageous enough to come into that moment in front of a whole bunch of like kind of older white people and to speak some grace and to speak some truth uh, more specifically. Sean is an activist and as well as being a poet, um, he also is a father, a husband, uh, and a person of great faith. And so um, I asked Sean if he would tell us a little bit more about what he's currently doing, like what kind of work is he doing? And then we started to talk also about the current situation that we're in, and I wanted to know Sean's thoughts um, and what he was feeling, and also for him to be able to speak to the church and to speak to Christians, specifically white Christians, um, and to, to give us some guidance and some of his wisdom as to what it is that we can do to uh, combat systemic racism. And so these are the things that he had to say. So let's get right yeah, into so, it. Yeah, so, I mean, so just to kind of piggyback off of that, I mean, currently I, I work for a, a nonprofit organization called the uh, Polis Institute. Uh, Polis is the Greek word for city. So if you think city institute, mm-hmm. uh, we try to identify best practices around um, like community development, how people relate with one another. Um, we, we're a third-party facilitator between investors and residents um, when the conversation of development sort of comes in. So we play a consultant role. Uh, we do develop uh, programs. We have leadership trainings. Anything that would help a community flourish, we're in the middle of uh, that space. So that's what uh, the, the organization broadly um, out of that, I, like under that umbrella, I coordinate a neighborhood and family engagement program um, that's designed to create space for parents and children uh, to connect. Um, and uh, it also doubles as a conduit of information, like if things are happening in a neighborhood. So I pretty much plan like family fun events year round, obviously with the advent of COVID-19, everyone's inside. Uh, and so that has uh, changed a little bit and we still try to um, be a support to uh, families in the, in the neighborhood or in the neighborhood that's under uh, a lot of change and development and so forth. So, um, 
so yeah, so that's what I do. That's like my job. I'm also a performer, as uh, as you mentioned earlier. But um, my commentary today, I will uh, kind of draw a line in the sand, is independent. I am uh, Sean Welcome in terms of my views and outlooks of uh, current affairs and so forth. So I just want to make sure I um, establish that distinction. Um, I am I am one voice, one perspective. Um, I do not speak on behalf of the so-called black community. Uh, I am uh, I, I am I'm one uh, voice. I'm a, a follower of Christ, and so that's the my my heart's uh, disposition as we engage today. So as we started our conversation, I wanted to talk to Sean about the events that predicated our conversation, the protests, some of the peaceful protests that uh, both he and I had seen and that he had actually experienced participating in a peaceful protest in downtown Orlando. But there were also other protests all around the country, and there was violence and destruction and anger, and all of those protests, both the peaceful and those that weren't, were, were because of a video, because of the video of George Floyd being murdered in police custody. This was not the first video of someone being uh, killed in police custody, um, but this one was different for a lot of reasons, and it made its way around the world. And so I wanted to know what Sean felt, how it made him feel to watch that video and what it did to him. Yeah, so... Um... I, I saw postings about it before I actually saw the footage. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the same thing, like, with, with um, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, Arbery just prior, and Breonna Taylor. Like, I'm, you know, I'm juggling family stuff. Like, I, I don't get a chance to kind of keep up. But when I did see the video, I mean, it was just heartbreaking. Um, and it's kind of, I think at, at first I was a little numb. And then, you know, just a, it was a series of, of different emotions, um, heartbroken, angry, um, ups, like frustrated, kind of like like with the church as well. Like, man, this is this is a topic. Just I've been in church, you know, since like 1993, and like I can count on one hand how many times. I've heard uh, pastors, uh, you know, from either uh, or all races, not really address um, uh, the 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 deep issues uh, in America that like lead to that. So, um, so yeah, I, I was I was burdened with that, and then I I started to um, reflect on ways in which um, you know my complicitness may have attributed to you know like. I was just like searching for um, a lot, and uh, um, yeah, I I I'd been on an emotional roller coaster, man. I, I cried a few times, man. I was just just uh, broken by the whole thing, and and just it was a, it was a big shift. And then just to see the the outcry and the you know, Dr. King says uh, rioting is the language of the unheard. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was just reminded of how many people feel unheard and 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 don't have necessary the language or the whatever but but the 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 feeling um uh, you know um kind of uh you know manifests itself in 
destructive and constructive. You know, it's just, it, you know, out. So um, I went up to Atlanta, um, I, I think, yeah, the, the first week in June. Um, my dad was uh, having uh, like a, a biopsy operation. So my, my wife and, and kids, we went up there for the week. And um, it was good. Like I, I, I got a chance to uh, reflect and um, start to read, obviously, like the, you know, flood of social media uh, postings and um, felt this burden to really share from a Christ followers point of view, like, like state of affairs, um, because there are ways in which uh, structures shape uh, how we respond as a church. And that should not be like, we should be rooted in Christ and speak out of that place and disrupt any other structures that, that are, that are out there that would, you know, but I, I feel like there, there is, you know, there's just a, a systemic uh, racism and, and, and things that um, are, hardly surfaced that are surfaced now in such a way that organizations have to, or at least feel the pressure to respond. Like when the NFL commissioner says, I want to apologize to Colin Kaepernick, like, like something, something shifted when, when, when something like that happens, you know? So, um, and that, that's just like an example, you know, you see that all, all over on higher uh, structures of power. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I've I've been um, I'm in a, in a space now where I um, want to inform and contextualize and um, just been reading a lot and learning a lot and, and wrapping my own language around what I think can be helpful to, to help us uh, move in the right, right direction as a uh, African-American in this society, as well as a follower of Christ. We all have a little spark that has the potential of becoming a bonfire. Let's set this world ablaze. Rainy days look like a starving garden's buffet. I want to play outside. All I need is streetlights and the bright side of the moon. Poetry is the aftermath of natural and unnatural disasters. It doesn't heal broken bones. It simply x-rays them. It exposes current conditions and creates catalysts for change. Perspective is everything. Listen, the tale of the hunt will always glorify the hunter until the lion writes his own history are you ready to rewrite yours recently i had um a new friend uh, a pastor who's um, a pastor of a historically uh, black church here in austin that's been around for man a century and a half or more um and um we were having a conversation about these issues, and he asked me a question that was incredibly difficult to answer. And he asked me the question, why don't white pastors speak up about the issues of systemic racism? Why aren't you saying more? Are you afraid of what it's going to cost you? And he wasn't asking that question because he was trying to 
you know, to, to just score points or he wasn't trying to, to convict me, although it did. Um, it did convict me. Um, he was asking honestly because he's, uh, he wanted to ask that question. He's always wanted to ask that question of white pastors. Like, why are you not speaking up more? What do you think it's going to cost you? So I brought this up to Sean. Uh, because I had my own sort of uh, beliefs about why uh, in the past I haven't spoken up enough. Um, And it has been rooted to cost. It has been rooted to fear, a fear of being deemed too political, fear of losing donors, fear of losing members. Um, All of those kinds of things go into the conversations that you have or the statements that you make from the pulpit about systemic racism. Because The fact of the matter is, is that in certain segments of society and certain places uh, where you might be pastoring or where your church is located, there might be a whole bunch of people in the congregation that does not believe that there is such a thing as systemic racism. And so along those lines, I wanted to find out from Sean, like, what would he say? He's been working in and around churches for a very long time. And so what would he say to white leaders in churches, white pastors who are afraid to speak up or who don't know what to say or, or maybe are struggling with their own understanding of systemic racism? And so I wanted him to share, like, why is it important? Why is this such an issue that needs to be spoken about where we can't be silent about it any longer? And this is what he had to say. So, so I think it's important to um, to to understand that when we bring up systemic racism, just the word, right? Um, we, we have to understand that beneficiaries of systemic racism will have a difficult time believing that it exists, right? So, so like, it, it's just, we, I, I, I think it's um, important for all of us to be gracious, right? Like not assume that when we say something, hey, you need to talk about systemic racism, that we assume that they know what it is or understand all of the nuances that like that, those are all uh, assumptions that we come in the conversations uh, with. So one, I think it's uh, important to know, like we have to be gracious with that and um, not confuse um, ignorance with bigotry. Mm-hmm. Right. Some like some people like some people just don't know. Right. Um, um, and and so I think that's the first thing to establish. Um, I think that and, and I'm, this is my lens. Right. That many um, I'll say so-called, you know, white pastors uh, may feel ill-equipped. Right. Like like. I'll I'll give a, a quick example. Um, when Pulse happened here in Orlando, the shooting, yeah. um, as a part of uh, an open mic night that I've been hosting since 2006 and still do, it just continues online. I was pushed to the forefront to say something, to be this leader in this situation. And I was conflicted because like I, I host uh, a venue of uh, all types of different backgrounds and so forth, but you know, it's, it's that imposter syndrome, right? Like I, I don't want to come in and, and, you know, speak to issues that I don't have um, language around. I think the difference here 
is that uh, the United States uh, foundationally started with uh, less than uh, less than ideal view of African Americans, mm-hmm. um, and and um, so much so that you know it was a bloody the bloodiest battle in, in history with the Civil War. Like like um, I, I think to your question. Um, it's helpful to, I think, frame the discussion as an issue of power, mm. right? This is, this is uh, uh, at the uh, base of it, um, uh, and a perpetual separation of power between groups and um, policies are created to sustain that power. Um, and racist attitudes are developed to justify uh, those policies and hate and ignorance sort of is the next sort of thing that that comes out of that. Um, so I, I think I think if uh, pastors in a predominantly uh, white church in America would frame the conversations around that and and think of ways that they can share power, be equitable. Like like any in any relationship, if you're uh, uh, in a marriage and there's an there's a there's a uh, uh, a disproportionate distribution of power between uh, you know the the uh, husband and wife. It, it, it uh, that relationship will not be sustainable, right? So I, I so I think it's it's one way to look at it because if if we go to even define some of these trigger words for some right who are uh, maybe not as close to the the problem or the complexities or what have you, um, defining racism, defining systemic racism, defining white privilege, def- like even just land on what those things mean is can can be contentious right um and we can spend all day there um so i i think i think power is something that's easy for people to understand and then you have to look through the lens of um our our dark history uh in this in this country and and i i would encourage uh pastors that there's an infrastructure as a teacher of the gospel um, to to study these things. Um, there was a uh, I forget his name, but he was um, some some scholar that that walked uh, with I believe it was with King. Oh no no no! I'm thinking of somebody else. N- not, nevertheless, uh, this person I'm thinking of, whose name I can't remember, was stating that. When we read the Gospels, um, there are theologians that would say it is difficult to understand the teachings of Jesus unless you understand Roman and Greek culture, Mm -hmm. right? So when we're talking about hermeneutics and the interpretation of Scripture, it has to be contextualized by the uh, present-day uh, nuances of like that civilization, and yep. then you begin to understand Jesus in in that context. Um, so I, I think there is um, 
there are practices in study that already exist that can be redirected to understanding the history of this nation and be able to preach the gospel out of that lens for our uh, present day congregations. Running in the wrong direction. Are you ready to end the run-on sentence? Start a new chapter. It's a literary picture of repentance. Fresh thoughts, clean slate. This good news that I speak of is actually great. Give me 60 seconds to explain. God created creation, including women and men, granted us authentic free will, and we used it to sin against him, also influenced by his former friend. A curse fell upon the face of the earth, and the relationship got worse. Then, in the fullness of time, God sends himself into our world as Jesus through a virgin girl to restore what he calls mine. He does this by living a sinless life as only God can do, preaches good news, providing principles for living a nullifying man-made rules. These jewels of truth fell upon many insecure hearts, but it was all a part of the plan. This man was crucified in public, but in three days rose again. Did you hear me? A dead man. Come on. A dead man, a dead man rose again and walked the earth for 40 more days, showing himself to his friends, then ascends. Four of those friends wrote down what they saw. Their names are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. My 60 seconds are gone. thought it was so insightful of Sean to hone in on that issue. The issue, I think, that so many pastors of predominantly white churches and, and leaders of predominantly white churches that they face, which they feel inadequate. They feel like they're imposters. They feel like they don't know enough. And so Sean really encouraged that for leaders and pastors to step into this, to know more, to get educated. But he also went on to say that it's important for us to continue to keep these kinds of issues in front of people and to be reminded of what has happened in the past, uh, that we need to have markers. We need to have uh, the kinds of things that pastors and leaders can bring to bring these things to the fore in the church. And so this is what he had to say. I think, I think to that end, um, Brian Stevenson um, brings up a, a, an excellent point about how in Germany, um, the, and I haven't been to Germany, but um, you can't go too far without having markers and remembrances of the Holocaust. Um, the, everywhere you go, there's, there's reminders of what has happened in the past, and it, 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 it provokes that society so much to, so that they don't want to get go back to that place and it, it creates this space for us to for them to move forward in that society um be, because there are these markers the same thing in south africa and i haven't been to south africa where there are um these markers and and things you know as you're just passing through that remind you of the apartheid that happened there and and um, just the harsh uh, inequities in, in that society. In, in the United States, however, or to the contrary, we don't have that as much. And so Brian Stevenson was saying, like, we should have more um, remembrances of the racial 
terrorism that has happened in this nation. It's not fair um, to, it's, it's really not fair to uh, a white uh, society, if you will, um, to have an entire existence in this nation and not be confronted with that with that past and and if you're successful and you're you know you have your house and your kids are doing well and they're going to college and educated and there's no there's no disruption of that one could conclude that my way of living is you know nor like the like the country's like this you know what I'm <laughs> so uh it's just a false reality and i think that um starts with education like what we include in our te uh, textbooks um I, I think that um there's a lot that can be done um in, in institutions that just tell the truth and then you trust that that society will know how to handle that information and move forward with it um but but sweeping it under the rug generation after generation with uh sort of this like perpetual um warped reality continues to be the underpinning you know an issue that we can't seem to figure out there, there's like i said on, on an institutional level in, in every sector i think there's a lot of work uh to be done from those that create those uh you know what what what's in the school system um you know you get into incarceration rates and all all, all sorts of uh all sorts of things there so i can i can go on and on man i i i had like literally in the past week or so have developed um so many thoughts and ideas and um i want to i want to play a supportive role in this i i feel like the bulk of the work should be between, um, and I'm going to say things like so-called whites and so-called blacks because I, I I take issue with, like I, I'm going to I don't want to get too deep uh, with that, but if you hear me say that, I, like there's reason behind that, but um, I, I think that the bulk of the work should be between the institutions and not have the burden placed on the folks that did not create these systems to uh, begin with. I think for decades there've been um, so-called black uh, leaders that have been trying to untie this knot <laughs> that's been so intricately, like intentionally woven together um, for purposes of power and control and, and, and so forth, you know, intermixed with the idealistic view of, you know, the birth of a nation. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I, I think that now as hearts are rendered and, and people are open, um, those leaders should should play more of a, a, a consultant role and um, shift the energy to, you know, our own, you know, communities, which, you know, we have no necessarily like fault of our own per se, but like a host of things that we, we want reconciled within our own communities or fixed within our own communities as well. So, so yeah, I, I, uh, I, I um, I think there should be uh, books written and like have, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, white pastors and business leaders, whoever's in power to, to, you know, y'all duke it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 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 
that you know I, I as unfair as it may um, sound, you know I, I feel like you know uh, whites are m more uh, credible. Well, sixty percent of the U.S. population, right? So more credible would have further reach um, in, in talking about these issues. I, I feel like if we're talking about an efficient uh, efficacy of energies. Um, we, we need to um, play more of a, a consultant role, cheerleading role, um, a, as a believer, have uh, grace for those who are sincerely just removed from the uh, issues. Um, and um, it, it will require some humility on, for, for those with power to sit and listen and learn and um, ask God for wisdom on uh, communicating that and, and just be fearless in the Lord, not bending to the uh, political narratives that, that they would be afraid to get swept into, but um, just do as Jesus would do. Thanks for joining us today on the PastorCast. Uh, we are so excited to be able to do these interviews and to be able to provide them for you. Um, these are great resources for those of us who are trying to learn, trying to listen, trying to become educated. Um, and there's some time of reflection, and there's going to be a time of lament because there's a lot that the church has not done uh, when it has come to racial issues and racial injustice and systemic racism in our country. And so it's time for the church to stop being silent. It's time for pastors to stand up and to speak truth to power. Uh, it's time for church leaders to become uh, more engaged and to stop being afraid. Uh, and so I hope that Sean was an encouragement to those of you who are listening to this. Um, we'll hear more from him in the next episode. There's going to be two episodes with Sean, uh, including some more of his unbelievable work uh, in his poetry. And so I hope you enjoy him. If you want to know more about Sean, just Google Sean, S-H-A-W-N, welcome, uh, W-E-L-C-O-M-E, and you'll be able to see his videos and see some of his work there. Um, I'd encourage you to check that out. But for now, have a great day. We'll be uh, publishing another episode later on this week, and I will talk to you guys soon. Blessings. Blessings.